Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to Tailgate Tomei. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by my man, Brian Kaufman. Today, we're diving into the best college football playoff we've ever seen. Don't think that's a, that's a debate at all, but we can get into that a little bit later. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, you name it. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. You can also find me on Twitter, at Gorgon Sports. Brian, let's get right into this thing. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I, I That was one of the more enjoyable two-game stretches that I could ever remember. So, uh, yeah, things are good over here. How was your New Year's? It was fantastic. I got you. I gave you a little preview before the show, but, I mean, I've said it before. I'm a pretty simple guy. I kind of like the things I've liked since I was, I don't know, about, like, 13 years old. And uh, one of those things that's evolved a little bit is I, I like grilling. I like cooking a little bit. So got a chance to watch college football, favorite thing in the world, spend some time with family, which was great, and uh, grilled up some some food for it. So all in all, uh, an awesome day and, and an awesome day of football. So let's get right to that football action, and let's start with the Georgia Bulldogs defending national champions, number one seed, taking down the Ohio State Buckeyes, 42-41. Ohio State misses a potential game-winning field goal at just about the same time as the clock strikes zero, uh, as the clock strikes midnight to turn to 2023 in the Eastern Time Zone. Brian, I've talked to you on and off the air a lot about how we thought this was a legacy game for Ryan Day, now having lost to Michigan twice in a row. This was a legacy game for C.J. Stroud, having done the sit, done the same. They didn't come up with the win on the scoreboard, so where do their legacies stand now after losing this game to Georgia? Yeah, what I mean, what a game it was, and it was it was funny. You mentioned right as it struck midnight, it ended. I was on uh, remote control duty, which was a real stressor. Getting uh, having about thirty seconds to get over to the ball drop. Uh, and thankful YouTube TV has a bit of a delay because I was able to see both. But yeah, it's a great question. I think it's totally fair. Um, and you know, you mentioned this when we were texting during the games, but from where I'm standing, Ryan Day coached his ass off in that game, and he had his team motivated. He had his team ready. They're coming off a blowout loss at Michigan that most folks, I think, didn't expect. They sneak into the playoff, and I think that's why this game was so anticipated was, well, hold on a minute. They're still among the most talented teams in the country, and they really showed it. I mean, uh, you know, going into the fourth quarter and even with 10 minutes left uh, in what seemed like full control of the game. So um, if you're an Ohio State fan, you know, and I saw some – activity on Twitter that was questioning Ryan Day a little bit. But I think you're you're feeling good. You're feeling better. I mean, they 
I mean, you have to say this now. They were good enough to win the national title, right? They were 10 minutes from beating Georgia, and they would have been a favorite over TCU. And so they were right there. C.J. Stroud is tough for me. And we, we talked about this on the air um, about what he had said. Uh, I'm, I'll remember Stroud as a phenomenal college quarterback, right? Like, he was great. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the country both of his years as a starter. I also think in like 10 years, I'll be stunned when you remind me that he never won the game, never won a Big Ten title, never won a playoff game. So I think, like I said, Ohio State fans know they were good enough to win it last night, and that hurts. But you certainly can't look at Stroud, who threw for like 350 and four touchdowns, and blame him in the slightest. So it's a tough loss. I'd be devastated if I was an Ohio State fan today. I don't think you look at Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud and question anything about their uh, readiness, their competitiveness, their ability. Uh, to me, they they blew it in the end, but they were right there, and I, I came away really impressed. To me, Ryan Day, the spot that he's in right now is very similar to where Kirby Smart was three, two years ago, three years ago. Kirby Smart had come to Georgia. He had really improved that program after taking over for Mark Rick, they had been on the cusp of winning a national championship. They had been on the cusp of getting to another college ball playoff. Alabama seemed the team seemed to be the team who they couldn't quite beat, couldn't get over the hump. But at that time, nobody that I can remember was questioning whether Kirby Smart was eventually going to be able to get it done. It, it almost seemed more like a foregone conclusion at some point he will get it done because of how he was recruiting, because of how close he had already been. And I think that's exactly the way any fan of college football, but especially Ohio State fans, should be viewing Ryan Day after this game. When I take a look at this game, Ohio State, this was an even game. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but I think that this was the national championship game for all intents and purposes. And they were right there. They were toe-to-toe. They had a lead. They, if we can get into all these what-ifs, I have all these what-ifs written down, but so many things had to go Georgia's way for Ohio State not to win this game. So I don't think you can look at Ryan Day as anything but in a very good place, I don't think you can look at this Ohio State program as in any place but a very good place and prepare to do this over and over and over again for the next five to ten years where they're going to challenge for national championships. So I think this did a lot. I wasn't one of those people who was really getting too up in arms because Day had lost to Michigan two times, but this did a lot to kind of cleanse the palate I think following that Michigan loss because he came out with a great game plan. He came out and he looked like he had that team ready to go from the jump. It was clear they they were ready to go. He enabled them to withstand a bunch of injuries and, and still almost win that game. And I, I just think if you're an Ohio State fan, just feel good. Yes, it hurts that you lost that game, 
just like it hurt for Georgia when they lost to Alabama in the national championship, when they lost to Alabama in the SEC championship on, uh, and it's funny, Kirby Smart ran a ill-advised fake punt in the Georgia Dome in this game. Ryan Day was going to run a really smart fake punt that Kirby Smart sniffed out, uh, but nobody thought at those times, well, Georgia fans got to move on from Kirby Smart. Gave it his best shot, just couldn't get over the hump. And, and that's exactly where I think I am and everybody else should be with Ryan Day to, today. It's a matter of if with him, not when. Yeah, I think that's a great call. I mean, and and one of the the main what ifs, not to jump ahead, is that is that timeout and that play. That was a phenomenal call. And, you know, you don't see it too often. They They were lined up in a fake formation like it was like not a standard punt look and so you know in that sense right that's why Georgia was able to presumably uh sniff it out but man that's it's got to go down as the greatest timeout in the history of college football right I mean there you who knows what happens if they if they pick up that fake punt and have the momentum yeah, and as far as the greatest timeouts in history, I saw that on Twitter as well, and there was a thread on it, and people were commenting. But most of the suggestions for other great timeouts in history were just timeouts that rubbed in a big win in somebody else's mm-hmm. face, like a coach taking timeouts at the end of a game. Uh, Kirk Ferentz famously did it against Minnesota and P.J. Fleck a couple years ago. I think it was during the... I think it was during the COVID season, the 2020 season, he burned a bunch of timeouts at the end of the game. That's kind of along the lines of the greatest timeouts ever that you see, at least from the people on Twitter. But as far as timeouts that actually impact the outcome of the game, I can't think of any others. I mean, it's it's a bit of an obscure category, <laughs> but it was a it was a great call. And I do think, Brian, like we there's a lot of everybody likes to joke about like the Saban way and the attention to detail and all the analysts that all these programs hire now. But that is exactly why you have a million analysts and a million off-field coaches and a million coaches who are charting plays, who are looking for these little, small, minute things. And in this case, it, it might not have been the most minute thing because I believe I saw on Twitter at the time that Emeka Abuka was still on the field. He had never left the field from third down, and that might have been what tipped them off. So maybe it wasn't the most subtle thing, but that is the reason and it's easy to make fun of and joke about and laugh about, but there is a reason why that attention to detail is so important. And it, I think if they get that, if Ohio State converts there, that's the game, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I thought it was really fascinating. I was reading uh, uh, some quotes from Kirby Smart after the game, and he's like, I hate, he, I hate taking timeouts there because I love – obviously having my timeouts at the end of the game, right? That I'm paraphrasing there. But what he said was, and this is again, like the evolution of these incredible coaches. And I do think Kirby Smart's going to go down as one of the best ever. He's like constantly learning and taking what he's learned and applying it to the game. So he said, uh, if you don't have three timeouts, you can't get the ball back. So I don't want to burn the timeout, but we've had three fakes on us this year. Everybody is faking. It's nothing we're doing wrong. We just started saying, we're going to call timeout if we think it's a fake. And he said he had people hollering at him from the press box that they thought it was a fake. 
and he didn't hesitate. Although they did show the replay a few times and he like tried to get it, wasn't granted it right away, like took a beat and requested it again. And man, I'm sure he's super glad he did because you're right. I, I think that that changed everything. Um, getting that timeout call there. You're right. I, I think Ohio state's able to salt it away if they pick up that first down. Um, and just, uh, I do think it was a gutsy call for the record. I mean, that's how we started this conversation. They were backed up uh, making that call there. Uh, that takes some serious stones and, and it was going to work. And I think that that's an important way to color this story. Um, but that's why George is a champ going for two in a row, man. They're on top of stuff like that. Yeah. So I would agree credit to Ryan day because he got the look he wanted. He had the play called and it was going to work. And, you know, he had a, fake called in the Michigan game as well and it seemed like there was an um an ex an execution an error on that where the Michigan coaching staff after the game said we saw they were in the fake they had us dead but they snapped it to the punter and I don't know if you remember that play there was a play in that game where the punter kind of like looked like he was surprised that he got the ball mm. and it's because he was because he wasn't supposed to get the ball on that mm. play so there was an error in execution there but it's not the first time this season or not the first time in Ohio State's last two games that Ryan Day and that that Ohio State coaching staff has gotten a special team look that they've liked and if it had been executed properly or in this case if Kirby Smart hadn't just gotten that time out in it it would have worked so I felt like Ohio State I think that's a good example of Ohio State really felt like they were emptying the bag tonight and we'll get to the Michigan game in a bit not in the way where I felt like Michigan was unnecessarily emptying the bag of trips tricks when all they needed to do was stick to their identity but Ohio State felt like they were emptying their bag of tricks as in we have all these things that we haven't maybe put on tape or we see in this Georgia defense that that can be exploited and and we're going to go take advantage of it. And, you know, maybe it's not the most difficult thing to say, just keep giving the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., the best receiver in college football, until, until they can stop him because they couldn't stop him. But Ohio State felt like they came into this game with a very clear game plan, a very clear understanding of what they wanted to do and were supposed to do. And I just can't, I get that if you are a Buckeye, it hurts. It hurts to lose a game that way. But I just can't leave that game being anything other than impressed with that team. And I haven't even talked about CJ Stroud yet. You're right, Ryan. His legacy, he he's done, right? Ryan Day has more opportunities. CJ Stroud is done. He is very much like Bryce Young, where I don't think you can talk about this era, this five-year stretch of college football without talking about those two guys because they played in some of the biggest games. They were some of the best players. And I really don't know if if the casual fan will remember five, ten years from now, C.J. Stroud never won the Big Ten. Bryce Young never won a national championship because – I think they were that good. And I was reading PFF uh, draft mock draft the day before the game, or maybe even the morning of the game. And what I saw as the criticism of Stroud and they have him going behind Will Levis, by the way, I just want to make that clear again is they said he was 
he's limited in his ability to improvise, not quoting this, but generally limited in his ability to improvise and, you know, doesn't get out of the pocket and make makes plays. He's a little too stuck to the to the pocket, essentially. And he got out of the pocket last night and he made plays with his legs. And I just have to give all the credit in the world for CJ Stroud because it seems like he took that and said, you know what? I can do that. And I think that's something I can do to help the team win. And and I think that's what it's all about for him. I think he, he was a pocket guy because he is one of the best pocket passers in the country. And he felt like that was the best way to help his team win. And last night, the best way to help them win was to make some plays with his, his legs and his play, the plays with his legs almost set up the game winning touchdown that would have gone down in Ohio state legacy in Ohio state lore forever and ever. So, you know, even if he didn't get the team success, he was this close from doing it. And I think when I think back to this era, I'll think about him and Bryce Young, both the same way, two really good quarterbacks who did everything they could to try to claw their teams to national championships and just came up just short. And you know what? Sometimes in sports, you just come up a little bit short and it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with, with that player or that team. It's that somebody else made a good play and I think on this day, that leads us to talking about Stetson Bennett because he made the plays that mattered, especially at the end of the game in, in in this game, Brian. And I think we have to give a little bit of credit here to Stetson Bennett, the often maligned Stetson Bennett, for, for coming up big when it mattered most. What did you see from him? Just uh, in total control when he needed to be. It, it was it, – it's still – it shouldn't, but it still surprises me to see him slinging it all over the yard, taking over a game when he needs to. He was cool, calm, collective, even when they were down by double digits in the second half. I mean, the guy is, you know, you talk about, you're going to talk about this era and, and Bryce and CJ and how talented they were. This guy's a, a flat out winner. He gets it done when he needs to get it done. That's uh, a talented Ohio State defense that needed to get a couple of stops to put them away, and he picked them apart when he needed to. I mean, obviously, the long touchdown, the defender fell down. Still got to still gotta get it there. I, I, he doesn't deserve a ton of credit for that throw, but he did, still got to get it there. But that last drive, I mean, five plays, 72 yards in under two minutes, um, you know, after, after you hold Ohio State to that field goal, he he did what he needed to do. The guy is is an all time winner in college football, and to to think about that is is pretty remarkable. His his journey, but he deserves a a ton a ton of credit for being on the brink of a second consecutive ship. That last drive was unreal, man. That there was one throw there. I can't remember if it was the pass to Brock Bowers or if it was the one to Kyrus Jackson, but there was one where Stetson dropped back. Ohio State had a bit of a pass rush going, and there was a defender not too far from him, and Bennett adjusted his arm angle, kind of threw it a little bit sidearm, delivered a strike. And to me, that's the kind of play, like, that is a subtle but really important and critical and impressive play that he just 
doesn't get enough credit for making that kind of thing. And it's like, I include myself in that because we sat here a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever it was, and said we would rather have C.J. Stroud. I, I, or at least I did. I said I'd rather have C.J. Stroud than Stetson Bennett, given the choice. And I still stand by that. But it's very clear he, especially this season, he is not being dragged by his teammates to an SEC title. He was not dragged by his teammates to the college football playoff semifinal. And he did, he was not dragged to victory last night. He did as much to win that game as anybody out there. It was just, it was a super impressive drive. He was calm. He was cool. He was collected. He made big throws and he did the same thing against Alabama last year, delivering a big throw. He had a rough game and delivered a big throw when it matters most. And, you know, it's it's fun to joke about like the winner being a winner and clutch gene and quarterback wins, but there is some truth to it. I mean, he's surrounded by five stars, but he has done something to earn the respect of all those five star guys. And he has has made throws when it matters most. So I, I gotta give him a big, big tip of the cap to Stetson Bennett. Uh, just an unbelievable performance by him. One of the the really cool stories I think that will that's ever happened in in college football history. You know, always wanted to play there. I mean, everybody knows the story by this point. I'm not gonna rehash the whole story, but uh, just more affirmation for Stetson Bennett last night and and what he's been able to accomplish as as the quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs. And now they have a chance to go for two national titles in a row would be the first program to do it since Alabama. I've mistakenly said a couple times on this podcast that Alabama has never won back-to-back titles. They have won back-to-back titles under Saban and they have a chance to go for two in a row. And that's not something that comes around too often. I mean, that would put him in really elite company. And I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at this because I don't know if how many of the back-to-back title teams we've seen over the last 20 years have had the same quarterback. Yeah, it's a great, it's a, that would be really cool to look at. But I think going back to what you talked about, like I was with you saying CJ Stroud, like I still, I I think he's the more talented passer, but the caveat that we had, which is, you know, when we talked about it, it was like, who, who do I think is the best quarterback of my ranking one through four, or who do I want for this playoff? And in the latter conversation, it's Stetson Bennett because he's done it. He's in control and he does things like he did on the last drive yesterday. And that is why we, we made clear, Hey, we're not set, like Georgia's first pick is definitely Stetson Bennett. And so uh, he proved that, uh, you know, time and again, yesterday uh, throwing for 400 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, just pretty unbelievable. And, and like you said, I'd be interested to hear, I don't know if you're able to do the research in real time, but um, I mean, back-to-back titles as uh, an SEC quarterback is it puts you in all-time college football lore. Yeah, I have to. I I'll see if, if I can try to figure this out here. But I mean, Brent, I would say I don't. I, I still would say CJ Stroud is the better quarterback than him, and like I don't think Stroud did anything to lose that game for them last night. Like I think what it ultimately, if I had to say one thing that cost them that game that cost Ohio state the game. It was probably Marvin Harrison jr. Getting knocked out. Yeah. I I mean that, that, that definitely 
changed a lot of things. Like you mentioned it earlier, right? They they couldn't stop him. They couldn't guard him. That that play um, where he got knocked out was was wild, right? Like I don't know. The announcer said this, but. I for sure thought it was a throwaway deep out of the back of the end zone when it left his hand. It, it was, it was fascinating. It came down um, and, and he almost made the play, but yeah, uh, that got held to a field goal on that drive and it's a 14 point lead. Uh, you know, if they, if they, if they call targeting there, score a touchdown 42, 24, it, it does feel a little bit different. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that was a major turning point. I do think, you know, you, you don't, you don't want to play in what ifs too frequently. That guy was having a phenomenal, phenomenal game um, and couldn't finish it out. And it's tough because you, you would love to know if he would be able to keep that going and, and how Georgia would, uh, would have adjusted, you know, and, and the, the chess game that would have ensued. But do you think there's anything, like if you look back at that game, is there something, is there a moment, is there a play? Like I know they both made plays in the game. Is there something where you say, Stetson Bennett did this and CJ Stroud did not do that. No, no. And I don't, yeah, no, not at all. Uh, And I, um, I'm, I'm sure I think I'm aligned with you in the, in this conversation, which is, I mean, they both just, they both played incredible. It's what made the game so fun. And I don't think, uh, you know, there's, there's no sense in, in picking a winner really, because I think they both just, they both did what their teams needed them to do to win. So it's interesting here, Brian, the last quarterback to win back-to-back national titles is A.J. McCarron at Alabama 2011 and 2012. And it's funny, that's kind of before Alabama became the high-powered offensive Alabama that we see today. I I feel like Stetson Bennett, I, I don't think that's actually a terrible comp for him. No, like it's no. a, you know... <laughs> I think they'll kind of go down as they'll kind of be viewed similarly where it's the, the team around them is what is remembered, but I don't know that AJ McCarron ever had the throws that Stetson Bennett had last year during last year's national championship game or during this college ball playoff last night. Those were those were big, big, big time throws. And, it, you know, it's been almost 10 years now since I watched A.J. McCarron play. But off the top of my head, I don't think those Alabama teams really played many close games, to be honest. No. And, it, and he definitely wasn't slinging it around the yard. I think you're, you're, you're right on that one. And, you know, I think he was eventually, what, a fifth-round pick? And Stetson would gladly be a fifth-round pick. But it, I think that's a great uh, – uh, Honestly, a great kind of uh, college legacy comp for sure. It is. And it's not, you know, look, the, the legacy kind of speaks for itself. If you uh, if you win back-to-back national championships, I mean, he's already going to be able to do whatever he wants to do. He will always have a home in Athens. He, was, he will always have a home in the state of Georgia. But it, it, it does put him in in special company and it's something that uh, it's one of the reasons I am really looking. I was really looking forward to this playoff is because I think that's a huge storyline. Can Georgia win two in a row? Can Georgia now really, if Georgia can win a national championship next week, they are Alabama. 
they have supplanted Alabama in my mind as the team that is the the dynasty of now. Two in a row does that for me. And Kirby Smart is essentially a younger version of, of Nick Saban. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I was looking at A.J. McCarron's stats a little bit. Their closest game of that 2012 season was the SEC championship game against a, I believe, an Aaron Murray-led Georgia mm-hmm. Bulldogs team. A great national championship game. But uh, A.J. McCarron did have a big-time Play action pass, 45-yard touchdown pass to Amari Cooper in that game. So look, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna besmirch the name of AJ McCarron. He made some throws too. I think it's a really good comp, and I, I think it's a really good comp for the two of them. But I think Georgia now has a chance after 40 years of being the team that couldn't quite get it done. They have a chance to be Alabama. They have a chance to be that new age dynasty of the 2020s. I mean, am I off base on this? Or do you think they a win here against TCU and they are Alabama? Yeah, I think so. I mean, and the way they're recruiting it, 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 it's a mirror image of, of what Alabama has been doing and they kind of got the momentum. They're, they're, they're what's hot. They're what's cool. Kirby's really done it. And so, no, I think you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, I think uh, if I may use this as a transition to the other game, they uh, are probably feeling pretty good going into who they're facing, but should they? So TCU, what a performance by them uh, to get the win. Seven and a half point underdog taking down Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I don't know from where you're sitting, what, what made this happen? What allowed them to get this done? One big thing for me, Brian, and it's TCU executed better at what Michigan prides themselves on, which is short yardage, red zone, and running the football. TCU was better at the things that Michigan has built their whole program on. And I, I want to read a few things for you here. So I, I went back and I looked at you know kind of the play-by-play, and because these were the things that stood out to me in real time. So in the first half, Michigan had uh, seven red zone plays, seven plays inside TCU's 20. On their first drive, they had six plays. They ended up with no points, and they turned over the ball on downs when they ran that failed Philly special. And then on their fifth drive, after a questionable call, which I believe should have been a touchdown, they had a play from TCU's one, and they fumbled. So they had seven plays in the first half inside the 20, no points. And that is, I mean, look, if you're Michigan, how do you not just line up and ram it down TCU's throat? You know, Michigan was chirping a little bit during the week about the 3-3-5 and how they were going to how they were going to run it down down TCU's throats and I think TCU heard that. There was a really great quote after the game from uh from one of the TCU defenders Johnny Hodges and he said Quote, once they started jumping in their bag, I knew we had them. We had them right where we wanted them. If you're doing trick plays in the championship game, you're just reaching for anything. When you see trick plays, it's a good thing. I mean, if it works, it works. But if not, you look stupid. Because you pride yourself so much on being physical, running downhill, you should just be a- you should, uh, you should be able to get two yards. 
And that quote right there and that play on the very first possession of the game said so much about this game. And I'm not trying to say that TCU's defense was perfect. I mean, Michigan put up 500 yards in this game. There was an offensive explosion in the the third quarter here. We nearly hit 100 points on a game that had a, a total in the 50s that I bet the under on. So I, I'm not trying to say TCU's defense was uh, perfect or, or anything uh, along those lines, but TCU performed better in those areas, in the red zone, running the ball, and in short yardage situations. And uh, TCU was selling out all game to stop the run, and they did it really successfully. Um, they had they had six tackles for a loss on Michigan running plays. So I think that's a really good example of just how they were getting in the backfield, how they were top, stopping Michigan's run. And after that big run on the first play of the game for Donovan Edwards, they held him to under three yards per carry while TCU star running back Kendra Miller gets hurt. Uh, Amari DeMarcado comes in and goes for 150 yards on the ground. So I just thought TCU out Michigan to Michigan, which I never thought was was going to happen. And I'm not saying that TCU just lined up and played power football, but they ran the ball, they executed in short yardage, and they executed in the red zone. And to me, that was the difference in the game. And it's why I'm so, I have no harsh words for Ohio State. I think they left everything on the line. They gave it their all. Um, they just, it was a two unreal teams going head to head. I am sorely disappointed in Michigan. I am happy for TCU. I think TCU played great. I think they had a great game plan, but man, oh man, if you're Michigan, I think that's a game where you really need to do more soul searching than Ohio State does. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I mean, I saw a tweet. I can't remember who put it out there, but Michigan had the easiest 50 yard run of all time on the first play and then immediately forgot how to play Michigan football. Right. And so it's exactly what you've said. And and it really surprised me. I mean, I texted the group when they ran the Philly, Philly special on fourth and goal in the first possession. And like it, it, my thought was you should be able to get two yards. So I, I totally get what Johnny Hodges is saying. And in hindsight, I would even add like what a weird time to call that play even if you want to go for it and even if you think you can catch him off guard with a pass like run a hard play fake at something but you like to me calling that play there was a little bit cocky and a little bit like we don't we're not we're not too worried about how this is gonna go in a sense because I think like they were they thought they were playing with their food a little bit there was another third down not too long after can't remember which possession, but it was third and not too long. And they ran like one of those pop passes on a sweep and it got stuffed to the backfield. And it was like, this is not what got you here. And and so I, you know, I, I totally agree with you. And and it, it was, it was very surprising. And, you know, they, they eventually, you know, needed to rely on JJ McCarthy. And that's been something we've talked about quite a bit this year uh, about, you know, if he needs to win you a ball game, can he do it? Um, you know, I, I think the stats are an interesting one for him in this one. Where he almost threw for 350 yards, a couple of scores. And I and I think he's going to be good for a long while through a couple of costly pick sixes. And obviously that changed the trajectory of the game. Um, 
Yeah, it it was surprising how Michigan went about trying to win this game, particularly after they had just punched Ohio State in the mouth for the last few minutes of football that they've played. And I, I don't know. I, I'm with you. It was and, – and, you know, they were still in it with a chance to win, but – I think the game plan was was confusing from where I was sitting. Well, Brian, J.J. McCarthy, you know, he replaced a quarterback in Cade McNamara who led Michigan to their first win over Ohio State in forever last year, their first Big Ten championship in forever, and they felt like he could do more for them. He could take them to another level. And in that second half, he he did some good things with his legs, started to feel a little bit more comfortable, but he threw two pick sixes in the game. Yeah, he made a few critical mistakes. And let's hear from him now on his one comment post game. You know, all credit to them. They won the game in the 60 minutes that was played. And, uh, you know, they're a good football team. No matter what it is, uh, they they got the win. And uh, fought our hearts out. There's a lot of things that uh, we could have done better. Can't wait to watch the tape, but we'll be back. And I promise that. So that was McCarthy's answer to the, the one question he was asked. He uh, left the podium after that. Clearly an emotional game. For him, an emotional game for everybody. But some strong words there. We'll be back. He He's a true sophomore. He has a lot more football to play at Michigan. He thinks they'll be back. Do you? Well, it's interesting, right? I, I hadn't thought about it like that. But when you introduce the, the topic of conversation about how he replaced Cade McNamara, like, is there something to when Cade McNamara is leading your team, you understand we're a rushing team and we're going to rush the ball. And when you put J.J. McCarthy in, you, yeah, you think you could take him to the next level, but did you do it and he's not quite ready yet, maybe? And maybe that's what we're looking at. I think that he is really, really good. I think he's actually going to be good. I saw him make some throws that were good. I think he made some inexperienced mistakes and that we have, just as a college football watching population, kind of stopped giving any sort of benefit of the doubt to people without a ton of experience and just expected them to come in and be what they are, a five-star, can't-miss recruit, right? And so, listen, they were in the national semifinal. They're doing something right. I think that's good. That's two in a row. Um, I I do think that they could easily get back in this position next year. I Like, like to, I, I think – the way they went about trying to win this game was more the flaw than anything that is, I couldn't see them returning to it. I couldn't see them doing it again. Um, and so, you know, he seems like a determined guy. He's, he seems sure that they're going to be back. You know, if I had to bet on it. Yeah. I think in the next, I think JJ McCarthy will play another college football playoff game. I'll say that. Yep. Yeah. I, you know, I, you, as you were talking about him, and we kind of expect everybody to just be what their recruiting ranking is as soon as they step on campus and there's no time for development. I think that's a, a point well taken, especially when you look at the quarterback he faced in that game last night, Max Duggan, who's had a long and winding road to now being the starting quarterback in the national championship game, and the his, his opponent in that game, Stetson Bennett, a guy we just talked about, 
a ton who had anything but a clear path. But J.J. McCarthy was a guy who came in with all the accolades. And I think you did see, you know, in the second half, it seemed to me like when they were playing a little more run and gun, when they were, he was almost looser, right? When they kind of had to go to that hurry up, uh, when they were down big and they just had to, he had to make plays and, and get points on the board. And it's almost to use a basketball analogy. It's like a guy who is maybe more comfortable playing in more of a free-flowing, up-tempo, get-up-and-down-the-court type of game rather than a very structured offense. That's kind of what it felt like to me because he was making some good plays with his legs. He was improvising. He was doing some good things, and he seemed more comfortable in the second half. But his interceptions, his two pick-sixes, were bad throws. They were entirely on him, and they were costly. So... I if I had to bet on it, man, it's it's not as much to me actually about JJ McCarthy as it is about I thought TCU was better at the skill positions at running back and receiver. I thought they had more speed. I thought they had more talent on the outside than Michigan did. And when you look at Quentin Johnson, one of the best receivers in the country, six receptions, 163 yards for TCU. And a ton of those, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there so many of those were yards after catch. If you look at the the one long touchdown he had where Michigan had no deep safety and he adjusted his route, caught the ball just in front of the line of scrimmage on a little screen and took it to the house, that was a great example. And I just don't know, do you think Michigan has the skill players that are equivalent to TCU right now? No, I, I don't necessarily think that Michigan's skill position players are at the quality of TCU's right now. I mean, we talked about it before. Like, that's kind of why we thought, or at least I'll speak for myself, uh, Ohio State was was not going to have trouble with Michigan was, was for that reason. Um, but I think, like, it, it's more of a credit to TCU than anything. And, and so um, I know you said that, and I, I think Michigan is a, is a program that – I just think it's sitting kind of pretty right now. Back-to-back playoff appearances. You've got the quarterback of the future. You know, if I if I can say that maybe some of his inexperience led to some of the failures this weekend, all the more reason that he'll learn and grow from it and and be better down the road. And so, um, no, I I think they'll they'll get him help. I know they've done well in the transfer portal, and and I anticipate Michigan will will be able to come back. But credit to TCU, man, because the the. The journey that that program has been on, I mean, they won five games last year. It's its pretty unbelievable. Yeah, and let's go even beyond that because I think TCU's journey is something that really has to be admired because, Brian, as recently as 2011, this was a program in the Mountain West. They were playing the likes of Air Force, San Diego State, right? This wasn't a program that we thought was going to compete for national championships they were we didn't use the term at the at the time but they were a group of five school we used the term mid-major more at that time to talk about them right and they did have success they they went to that Rose Bowl that I believe that was the Andy Dalton led Rose Bowl team while they were in the Mountain West and they go into the Big 12 but they get into the Big 12 and they struggle there they go six and 12 in conference over 
their first two years in the league, then Gary Patterson does what what he did throughout his career, and he just built and built and built. He got them to nearly to a college ball playoff in 2014, the inaugural college ball playoff, where they finished number six, and they were not the one true champion. They were one of two true champions in the Big 12, along with Baylor that season. Um, so, you know, they they were on the an upward trajectory in the Big 12, but then fell on hard times again going five and seven last year, as you mentioned, finishing 118th in scoring defense. But just this whole journey has to be admired, not only from a one-year turnaround perspective, but from a, this is a team that was in the Mountain West and now less than 15 years later is going to play for a national championship. And that's just not something we see a lot of in college football. And I think them and Utah are really interesting because they were both in that league at the same time and both transitioned out to power leagues. And they're great examples. I think, you know, Utah will, has won back-to-back Pac-12 championships, will play in their second consecutive Rose Bowl tomorrow night. And they're two programs that I think show that, it can be done, that you can emerge on the national level in this sport. It's not only reserved for the Blue Bloods of the world, the Notre Dames of the world, the uh, the Alabamas, Ohio States, Michigans. You don't have to have, you know, you don't have to have a history that dates back to 1901 and the founding of the sport to be competitive, even though it sometimes feels like that. And I think, you know, TCU is just a really good example of that. And it's something to be admired. I do want to get in a little bit to the one year turnaround aspect of this, because I mean, I don't know that you could have found anybody who would have thought Sonny Dykes would come in and do this with this, with this program. So I tried to look back at some other great turnarounds, kind of sudden emergences on a national stage. I found four examples that I kind of liked that I thought TCU kind of fit with, but you tell me how much you like these, Brian, and tell me if if there's any off the top of your head that that I'm missing here. So first, and I think this is the best comp of these four teams, is the 2013 Auburn team that lost to Florida State in the BCS championship game. It was Gus Malzahn's first season, a year after they had gone 3-9 and nine and parted ways with Gene Chizik. But a big difference between that Auburn team and this TCU team is that they had won a national title with Cam Newton just a few years earlier in 2010. But I do think they are the best comp of this whole group. Another example I found, 2006, Wake Forest, went 11-3 and and won the ACC after finishing with a losing record for each of the previous three seasons. In 2001, our own Maryland Terrapins went 10-2 and and won the ACC after having only, after only having two winning seasons over the previous 15 years. So a huge turnaround. I think a even bigger turnaround, honestly, than what we saw from TCU. Not quite to the same heights, but uh lower depths than TCU was ever at. And then finally, Northwestern. 
Northwestern's 1995 Big Ten Championship Rose Bowl team. They went 10-2. and Before that, their last winning season was 1971. So over 20 years without a winning season before Northwestern Wildcats emerged to go 10-2 and and win the Big Ten. I those that's kind of the company TCU is in with this historic season. It doesn't happen a lot in college football, but I wanted to put some context around it. Which of those four teams do you think this TCU team is most similar to? I think it's that Auburn team. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the Auburn team, but I think it's really interesting because you, they they had the Cam Newton title, and so it wasn't like they had been starving for it for a long time. Yeah, they were down, but they're, you know, they're a, a perennial contender for the most part, at least, you know, a, a, a true major, major program. Um, but I, I agree with you. And it, it, it's, I'm glad you went through and did this because to, to say it's all, something is I found four good examples since 1995, it kind of does help paint the picture of what they've done and, and that it's, you know, it's pretty remarkable. So, um, I mean, this is something that, listen, I don't know that anybody saw this coming. I don't know. Uh, you know, you were very early to jump on the train when they started performing well. You you predated a lot of the national conversation around them. I don't even know if you were going to go so far to say, hey, I think this team could play for a national championship. Um, so I, it's it, it's really, really unbelievable and remarkable. And um, shout out to, to Sonny Dykes because he has uh, – can't think of a much better tenure starter than what he's pulled out this season. And man, oh man, is Sonny Dykes fired up. Did you see the one clip where he uh, told his team in the locker room, say all the right things about Michigan, give them credit. Uh, you don't need to go talk, and I'm paraphrasing here, trash, because I'll do enough <laughs> trash talking for all of us. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great, man. He should be excited. It, you know, the immediate on the field post game interview, he was a little bit, you know, he's he still kept it PC, but you, you get to know how they really feel when they're talking to the team in the locker room. That was awesome. Yeah. And, you know, I will say I, I've been a big fan of this team all year long. I've, I've liked what they were doing earlier in the year. But you're right, Brian, never in my wildest dreams that I think they would beat this Michigan team. And I invested as as such on on Saturday I bet on Michigan I I bet Michigan a few different ways I had the under which is a hilarious bet looking back at now to have the under in a game that that almost hit the 100 mark so you know kudos kudos to TCU they have proven everybody wrong all year they are a team that is full of talent at the skill positions and I think their their lines their both of their lines really showed up in such a big way on Saturday and that just enabled their skill position guys to thrive because I want to go back to that Quentin Johnson, Quentin Johnson touchdown that I mentioned earlier where Michigan had no deep safety health help. They had a zero blitz because Michigan was completely unable to put pressure on Max Duggan without blitzing last night. And TCU's line showed up in a way where they were able to give him time. They forced Michigan to have to to bring pressure. And when you do that, you get single coverage with outstanding skill position guys and you can let them thrive. So just a team effort top to bottom for TCU. I think there's credit to be had at, at each and every level of this team at each and every every position group an unbelievable team win an 
unbelievable team story. And now they get the reward of going to face the defending champion, Georgia Bulldogs. It's unbelievable. And they're, they're going to be doubted again. They've been doubted all year and everybody's going to continue to doubt them. They're just about two touchdown dogs. And guess what? I bet you they like it that way. Cause this type of team feeds off things like that. They've got players who act like they feed off that. I can't think of a better quarterback than Max Duggan to lead a team like that. And so I'm really, really excited to see how this goes. And you know what? We're talking about turnarounds and redemption stories and things of that nature, too. I think we'd be remiss not to mention that Sonny Dykes was a guy who was given a second chance. He went and became a Power 5 head coach at Cal in 2013, and it didn't go very well. It was not a fit... um, it, it, it was not a fit there. I don't have his record in front of me. Here it is. 19 and 30 over his four seasons at Cal. One winning season, one eight and five season. He got a second chance as the head coach at SMU. Really uh, did well there. And then, of course, got this TCU job. So, you know, I, I think it's just something to keep in mind. Like, it goes right around right along the lines of the that turnaround story and some of the journeys we've seen, whether it be from Max Duggan or Stetson Bennett or Sonny Dykes himself, how this sport, it's not always a straight line. It's not always, we got this five-star. He's going to be in number one, our number one quarterback from the day he steps on campus. Let's roll. It's not Ryan Day took over from Urban Meyer. He should go and run off two of the next five national championships, let's go. It's not always a straight line to success in this sport as much as we like to think it is and try to prognosticate it and predict it and have all these indicators of who's going to be successful and when. Sometimes it's a windy road, and I don't think anybody uh, exemplifies that more than Sonny Dykes. And whether it is Sonny Dykes and Max Duggan or Stetson Bennett and the Georgia Bulldogs going for two in a row, we're going to have some great storylines in this national championship game. As Brian mentioned, Georgia, a 13 and a half point favorite over TCU as it stands today. The total sitting at 62 and a half, so just under that key number of 63, projected to be another high scoring game, much like the semifinal games. There's going to be a lot to look forward to in this one. Can it live up to the unbelievable day of football we got on New Year's Eve? Can TCU pull off one final surprise? And can Georgia win back-to-back national championships for the first time since Alabama did it? We will find all that out and more next week in the national championship game. We'll be back with you later this week to look ahead to that national championship game, break things down, and, of course, give out some gambling picks. That's our show for today. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done.